My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies, and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share, and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening, and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is David Taylor, a.k.a. The Naked Leader. Now, he is a true advocate for authentic leadership, and he encourages us all to simply be ourselves in his best-selling books. As a trusted advisor to businesses, David and his team create three times more value, confidence, and agility, something that we all certainly need at this moment in time. Now, I first met him when he spoke at one of my events, and I found him to be a true gentleman. So it's a delight to be speaking to you again today, David. Now, tell me, how is lockdown treating you? Lockdown is uh, started off like everyone else as a bit of a surprise and a shock to the system. Um, very quickly realized that if I don't start putting to practice things that I invite other people to do, then um, I'm not being very authentic. So. Um, decided I would write a book during lockdown. I assume I thought I thought it'd be about six weeks and do some free well-being calls for the NHS and generally um, spend great time with my family. So I think that any issues we have with lockdown are nothing like the issues that families who have lost loved ones and uh, and many other countries have. So uh, I think lockdown certainly made me realize how lucky we are. Oh, absolutely. There are so many people saying that, that whole kind of gratitude piece and realising what's important. And it's a joy to hear that you've written another book. What's it going to be called? Uh, Just Between You and I. It's going to be called, yes, it's going to be called Bliss, B-L-I-S-S. Oh, we all need some bliss in our lives. And I'm I'm guessing that it's going to be well-being themed then. Well, it came about because of um, we're leadership partners with NHS EPUT, Essex Partnership University Trust, which is one of the biggest psychiatric hospital trusts in the world. And and they're full of psychologists and psychiatrists who really know what they're talking about, as opposed to me. (laughs) Uh, And I was with them for two days. And on the first evening, there was a lot of banter. There was a lot of sort of, you know, talking, saying naked leader is just pop psychology and it's tree huggy and it's not real. And we got, it was, it was really, really, really good natured. But I said to them, I'm a little bit confused. I said to the psychiatrist, I said, I'm a little bit confused. And the one extreme you have, the ter- people who are, you know, in the hospitals that you're looking after. And then you come back from that and you've got, you know, bipolar and you've probably got suicide up there. Mm-hmm. And then you come back to sort of normality. And I'm not sure there is anything such as normal. This is when people have up days and down days and different days, they feel differently. And then you go to the other end of the spectrum and you have happy and then you have sort of meditation. And then you sort of, what happens after that? Surely, if there's part of our brain that is extremely unhappy, surely there must be a part of our brain that's extremely happy. Let's call it bliss. And they said, oh, that's not possible or whatever. And I thought, well, sod you. I'm going to write a book called Bliss. 
Um, <laughs> I managed to find a Harvard graduate who is a genius, Claire Carpenter. Same managed to find. I knew her for a while, but I didn't know how clever she was. And this is the first book, Angela, that I've do I'm doing that actually has academic research references at the back. I mean, I haven't read them, so I'm, I believe that they are okay. <laughs> but yes, she and I have put together this um, this this um, journey from wherever you are in life, this adventure to feeling in bliss. And feeling in bliss is not a living in a, a monastery type thing. It's mm. it's it, it's it's facing up to whatever happens to you in life and being totally at peace no matter what is happening. Oh wow, that would be an amazing place to be. You could well, be there all the time. Absolutely. You can be there all the time. And the idea that you can't is complete nonsense. Oh, so I need this book in my life. And I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that it's got academic references in it. As somebody who is currently knee deep in them doing my final exams, they're not my favourite thing. So I'm glad that you are going through that too. Although I reckon that Claire's probably done all of the work around that, if I'm right in saying. Yes, Claire, yeah, Claire is, Claire's the clever one. I'm not. <laughs> And no, I, thought, I know that you are clever. Good luck with your exams. How, how are you doing? How's it going? Oh, don't even ask, David. It's literally started today and I've got four essays and an exam to write in four days. So, wow. um, yes, I've looked at the questions this morning and that's about it so far. But I will do it because I always do the things I put my mind to, but uh, sometimes with lots of moaning. But thank you for asking. It's very kind of you. Now, I want to I want to switch it back to you and... Um, we always start the podcast with what I call the shake your pom-poms moment. Um, so this is about you being able to be your very own cheerleader, get into the success mindset and talk to me about your three proudest moments. Um, well, my three proudest moments are probably when my daughter, Olivia, having been diagnosed as dyspraxic, which is a sort of sister dyspraxic, to dyslexia it's clumsy child syndrome it used to be called um i mean don't we have names for everything wrong with us oh um, my goodness so they actually I, call it that they used to call it clumsy child syndrome before you were born oh. um, and um yeah and uh, well i got the dsm manual behind me which is the most <laughs> book ever, yes. ever written and there was something about seventy-six thousand things wrong with us at the moment but anyway i left a sudoku on we, we were doing all sorts of exercise with her she was getting uh, kept back late at school basically there was something wrong with her and mm -hmm. um uh, I was I was doing a the, I love doing the Times Sudoku and I was on a super fiendish and I just couldn't get this one finished. And I left it in the kitchen, went off and made a call or whatever. Came back literally fifteen minutes later and it was finished. And I looked wow. at it. I was quite insulted to start with somebody had finished my Sudoku, <laughs> and Olivia had finished it in fifteen minutes. And this young lady not only uh, turned her disadvantage into an advantage. She got into Southampton University to study maths. Uh, she got a first class honors degree. Wow. And went on to work with BT and OpenReach. And I think my proudest, my third place, no, I can't say that. My first equal proudest moment was traveling to Southampton to see her getting her uh, degree award, which was 26 seconds. And she came up to me and she said, I can't believe that you've come all the way from Woking, which isn't very far, actually, to, to, to get my, uh, to get my, uh, to get to see me getting my award. And I said, I'd have traveled to the other side of the world to see it. Of course you would. Of course you would. That's what a dad does for his daughter. Indeed. Lovely moment, and and the, I mean, how you bring it to life through the Sudoku is brilliant too. Thank so you. So, what's the next one? Well, the next one is that um, when I wrote my most recent book, which is How to Be Successful by Being Yourself, the book I think I promoted and brought to your event up in Nottingham, 
I decided to have proof, it proofread by my son because he's an editor with a, a publisher and he does proofreading and I, it was all professional. I paid him to do it. Um, what, I, what I hadn't prepared for was that he would actually really proofread it. Um, <laughs> and so he booked half a day on a Saturday afternoon, two o'clock till six to go through the book. And I was assuming it was everything that was wrong with it. And I wasn't wrong. He really ripped into it and uh, was very professional. He said, you use the word indeed a lot, which I said indeed, which I thought was funny, <laughs> but he find it funny. And so he said, I've taken out most of the indeeds and basically talked to me for probably two and three quarter hours trying to improve the book. And then I said, I need to go and have a lie down now. And he said, well, would you come back? Because I've got, um, I've got my own personal opinion of the book to give you. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. If he thought this professionally, what's he going to think personally? And I, I came back and I sat down and I said, okay, give it to me. What do you personally think? And he said, I think it's the best book I've ever read. Oh, wow. Has he read many? Yes, he's read hundreds. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. I think he's, I think he's, <laughs> sorry, I was a bit slow on that one. I think he might have read two or three, not sure what I should have said. But um, no, uh, I mean, that has, is massive praise, isn't it? From a publisher. It's huge praise. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think my proudest moment, though, I've got too many involving my, my wife, but I would say that my proudest moment with it was with a young girl from the Prince's Trust who spent most of her life. She was born addicted to drugs because her mother was addicted to drugs. Oh. She, spent, she spent her formative years um, brought up in a youth prison, in a prison, sorry, because her, her mother was a youth. She was 14 when she gave birth to this girl. Wow. Um, been in and out of trouble all her life. And then uh, in Naked, I'm the business ambassador for the Prince's Trust, which means I work with the trust to promote them in organisations and to raise money for them. And Naked Leader coaches give their time free of charge uh, whenever they're working on assignment with a young person. And I was working with this girl and she wanted to, she really, really, really wanted to get a job as an underground DJ. Now, I thought that meant playing records on the Northern Line, but actually <laughs> it, was, it meant going to raves and things and mixing LPs. So she was really delighted when I took her my LP collection. I um, bet. By the way, uh, you won't know, Angela, you're too young, but they're long playing records. They're very big and they're black and they're round. I know what they are. Oh, you know what they are? Sorry, I thought you were. Of course you know, I do. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's my revenge for how many books does my son read. Absolutely, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, she did it. She One day she 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 actually did it. She she um, I went, she visited, invited us up and... After loads and loads and loads of rejection, she did it. But, you know, I'm going to add a fourth. And that is anyone who's listening to this who hasn't achieved their dream yet, my proudest moment for you will be when you do. And don't ever give up, I say to you. Don't ever give up or let anyone tell you that you can't achieve your dream because you are amazing just as yourself. And that's all you need to be in life. And I think if, 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 if my son and my daughter and, and that lovely young lady in the Prince's Trust can do that, I promise you, you can achieve whatever you want. So go and dust off your dreams and get on with it. And don't listen to the naysayers. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that is what you wrote in the front of your book um, when you gifted it to my daughter, Coral. And it's something that stuck with her. I think there's something about your voice, David. It must be that hypnotist in you. But it really does penetrate the brain. And she has, she has alluded to that many, many times um, since you spoke at Mojo and, and you kind of told her that she could be anything that she wanted to be um, if she just, you know, remains herself and believes in herself. And, and um, it's just a really inspirational message. And so I guess, you know, one of the things I'm keen to explore with you today is, is how you've grown to be the man that you are, because 
you know, we all kind of lean into adversity. We all have things that we learn along the way. So what have been the times that have been tough for you that you've learned from? Well, you're very kind, first of all, about my voice. And obviously, <laughs> my voice to my face, or this would be a video call. <laughs> uh, I would say that um, I think I've been very lucky. I think there's three times when I've been very lucky. The first time was I went to a Scottish comprehensive called Air Academy, um, which is now one of a very highly regarded school. But when I was there, it was the pits. And I don't mind this going out and saying it. And I basically didn't get any, I, I got very few qualifications. I think I might have got a D or something in my O-level. You want to know what O-levels are, the GCSEs now. And uh, I got, I'm trying to make you sound young on this. Well, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can try. Uh, and um, <laughs> and I scraped into university. I scraped into Strathclyde University. It was the, at the time, there were eight universities in Scotland. And basically, Strathclyde was number eight. And they'd take okay. anybody. Um, <laughs> and and they took me. And, and I'll never forget when I was uh, getting my introduction the guy looked at me and said, you do know you're very lucky to be here. You were oh. one of the last people selected because we happened to have a few places left. Oh, wow. Uh, and I thought, oh, my God, I've got to do something. And I developed, I just uh, discovered uh, a memory technique called the Trent Plan, which has uh, long disappeared into history. And basically, the Trent Plan played on the brain's ability to associate or, or the brain wants us to survive. And so we live by association. And I learned a memory technique and basically graduated with an honours degree wow. and the amazing thing about Strathclyde is that as soon as I left it leapt up the tables and <laughs> it's, now, it's now number six I think of, of 29 universities in Scotland. My second bit of luck came when I went into the world of information technology now that may not sound a very lucky world but actually I discovered a world where you can get promoted very quickly with knowing absolutely nothing about the subject. Okay. Um, so I became a programmer and I was terrible as a programmer I really was and what they do with you if you're if you're dreadful as a programmer is they promote you to be a project manager and uh, I wasn't bad as a project manager so they kept promoting me basically and before I knew where I was I was head of IT for Cornhill Insurance in Guildford and then IT director at Allianz over and uh, you know working between Guildford and and um, Munich and uh, I just got very lucky because I managed I realized very early on in life you don't have to know everything as long as you're surrounded by a lot of people who do um, and it was really there that the roots of the naked leader idea came from one in particular I'll always remember was how I used to be invited to this board meeting in Allianz. And basically it was to get, forgive the language, the shit kicked out of me because I was in IT and everything. Everyone's always, <laughs> it's always your fault. It's always <laughs> IT's fault. And I used to go to this meeting and get pounded and hounded and making excuses all the time. And then I thought, I'm playing this wrong. So the next time I went along, I, I put on my metaphorical sort of American football outfit, went into the meeting, yeah. sat down. And they turned to me and said, the claim system was down last Friday afternoon. Whose fault was that? And I said, oh, that was my fault. And you could you could actually hear a pin drop. <laughs> it was your fault. Yes. And I said, and they said, oh, and by the way, such and such has also happened. And that's gone wrong. I said, oh, that's my fault as well. And somebody else looked at me and said, but I did like the system went that, that you put in, you know, for whatever. And I said, oh, that was James or that was Rachel or whoever. And, and I suddenly realized if you take the blame for everything mm -hmm. and you praise for nothing and you name somebody in your team, Basically, you can't go wrong as a leader. So I got very, very lucky being in IT because I was promoted on the basis of complete incompetence, reached a very, very senior level entirely on the back of other people. But I have to say, I give them um, complete credit. And then the final bit of luck, of course, was when The Naked Leader, which we only printed 250 copies of, took off. And um, I mean, so many things happened. A Radio 2 presenter read it uh, and, and the Daily Mirror featured it because a lot of the money goes to charity, the Children's Society. And Professor Jonathan Gosling at Exeter University Business School 
hated it. And he sent an email out to thousands of students telling them not to buy it. And all of this combined to it, 250 copies going out there and it's selling over 11,500 in the first 15 seconds. Wow. Uh, and it went from 19 million to number one. And so we decided to call it the fastest selling business book in the world. Um, and we've never been challenged on that. And I don't see why we would because I can't think of any other business book that's fast selling as that. So basically, I've entirely got to where I am as a result of luck. That's the bottom line. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with you there, but you can you can tell yourself that. But I think it's more than luck. I think there is a lot of wonderful traits about you that helps you connect with people right at their very soul. And it's that that I think is the is the draw. And that's why people trust you and they want to be, you know, have you as their advisor. And of course, you're working now in China, aren't you? Tell me about this. Yes. I don't, I don't know when this is going out. And China's not the most popular country in the world. Well, no. But um, saying China's not the most popular country in the world is a strange phrase because 1.3 billion people live in China. And it's actually quite racist when I hear people say that because they're kind of lumping together all these individuals into one big blob, uh, which is effectively, uh, it's not a country at all. It's many, many countries. But we got very close to China, very close to some academic institutions in China many years ago about or six or seven years ago I, I really did discover what the chinese were like the book is huge in in mandarin it's absolutely massive the naked leader book um, and they wanted us to go out there and i'll never forget that i was in a conference center in london because there were some very senior dignitaries in china wanting to arrange organize this week i was going to have uh, touring and um, me and a few others were on the other end in london and it was just bizarre Angela, because they came in on video conference and they said, ah, oh, Mr. Taylor. And, and they were all sort of raving. And I said, oh, it's lovely to see you. And everyone stood up and bowed and all that sort of thing. And then they said, we're here to organize your week in China. And I said, yes, that's right. And then there was this pause. And I suddenly realized they hadn't organized anything. They wanted to know from us what we wanted to do in China for a week. And we hadn't organized anything because we wanted them to tell us what they wanted to do in China. So we had this bizarre conversation. And then I went out there and I was treated like a, well, I was, it was, it was really quite ridiculous. I was treated like some kind of VIP. So I did this. I hope I'm not going to say anything that's uh, disingenuous to, to my lovely visit to China. But several things happened. The first thing was I was doing a bit of a tour in my world. That's two places. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and and, and uh, of, of, of Eastern Europe um, with the book. And I didn't want to get ill. And I, I'd heard all things about Chinese food. So my wonderful PA who runs my life, Sue Cabo, phoned ahead and basically tried to explain to somebody who doesn't speak English that David doesn't want to eat anything dodgy when he's in China. This translated as, well, I'll tell you how it translated, because the first night I arrived, they gave me a, a feast, a, di a dinner feast in my honour um, with lots of local dignitaries in Beijing and everything. And I was sitting in a big chair and I had Lauren next to me, who's my wonderful um, translator, and she has been ever since we started. And I'm sitting there and everything like that, and the guy's making a speech. And then this chef came out of the kitchen with a brown wooden bowl full of boiled rice. And I thought this was strange because I know they don't actually eat traditional boiled rice as we mm -hmm. would know it here. And he brought round and then there were three bagpipe players. So they obviously knew I was born in Edinburgh behind him. And they walked around. Everyone stood up and clapped. And I stood and Lauren said, don't stand. You're the, you're the, you're the sort of honour. <laughs> and they put the rice down, you see, and everyone clapped. And then he started speaking in English and said, Look at this, the Western guru. And we had <laughs> notification in advance that all he eats is rice. So Sue's translation that I didn't want to eat anything a little bit iffy had translated to he only eats boiled rice. <laughs> so I was sitting at this gala dinner with Lauren and basically I said, oh, what's that? She said, oh, that's chicken. I said, that looks nice. She said, you're not allowed any of that. You only eat rice. 
So when I got back to the hotel that night, I was getting Mars bars. I was getting anything I could. And I had a week. I had a week of eating rice. And I'm not saying it put me off, but I met some wonderful people. And the Chinese people are so kind and they're so gentle. And I learned how to truly do meditation, how to do true peace, how to do truly be at one with yourself. My my humor didn't go down too well at times. There was one point when I was talking to a group of Chinese philosophers and they said, we live and breathe and eat the Tao. And I said, oh, I get the Tao, which is a joke because the whole point <laughs> of the Tao is you don't get it. So I said, oh, I get the Tao. And Lauren said, sort of repeated it and they all clapped. And I said, oh, I thought I'd upset them. She said, I didn't say, I didn't say what you'd said. That would have been insulting. <laughs> I said that you worship the Tao. And I thought, oh, okay, thanks very much. So um, the bottom line is that most people in China are decent, you know, peace-loving, wonderful mm. people. And we're very fortunate to hopefully have a partnership with China, which is going to bring the East and the West together closer and that people will see the real China. I don't think some people in America, perhaps presidents, for example, mm-hmm. have any right to stand up and talk about China in the way they do when they think about some of the things that go on in the West. However, we're all the same. We're all equal in this world, in my opinion. Um, and we embrace uh, the Tao and Zen and the Buddha um, uh, totally and Confucius. And we've integrated that into Western thinking when it comes to Naked Leader. I'm sorry to give you such a long answer. No, it's lovely story. And I really like stories. And and, and it's fun as well. And I'm, I'm guessing you've never eaten rice since. Um, but you did mention in their meditation. And one of the questions I'm keen to understand is, is how you take good care of yourself and your own mindset, your own well-being. And, and perhaps is meditation part of that? Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting writing. Writing this book with Claire called Bliss, I I never thought I'd achieve bliss. So writing it has been a journey for myself, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I I um, I mean, well, who knows what mindfulness and meditation really are? They're just this this eternal. This is sort of it's like a it's like a slivery thing in your hand, living in the moment, isn't it? Because you get it and then it disappears. But what what I do do is I. I, I I just chill. I just relax. I just I just close my eyes. Not well, obviously wherever I am if I'm driving, but you know you, you just just the idea is to to be at one with yourself and the world and anyone in it and have the ability to do it at any one moment in time. And I've learned some tricks, which I'm quite happy to. So I call them tricks. These are actually probably very well researched and thought out academic <laughs> tools and techniques. I just we just you know what we do a naked leader and so we just go out and find out what we can from any source and it could be. Shenzhen University, where I'm very fortunate to be a visiting visiting professor, or it could be the film Frozen or the TV program Breaking Bad. It doesn't really matter. If there's something in there that works, we we share it. We share it with anyone. And the big thing that we discovered, the huge thing that we discovered, is the mistake that a lot of people make. I'm not having a go at them for it, but it's almost like we're taught to do it when you're meditating and trying to be at peace in the moment. What I think happens is that people close their eyes, and a lot of people are uncomfortable with silence anyway. They close their eyes and within a few seconds, even if they're listening to music or whatever, a thought comes into their head and invariably they push the thought away and that gives it power and it never goes anywhere. Other advice on meditation I've seen in the West is allow the thought in and basically just store it somewhere in your mind, a filing cabinet. Well, that doesn't work for me because once I start, you know, a minute's quite a long time. And if after 10 seconds you've had three different book ideas, I've got so many filing cabinets going the rounds. You know, you've got three, one over there and one over there and one over there. So the, tr- the, the technique is this, when you're sitting very still in a special place and you're focusing only on your breathing, 
any thought that comes into your mind, allow it in, allow it in, and it will complete itself, dissolve, and disappear. It's that voice, David. It's that voice, you know. You're very kind. It's not just the voice. There are some real secrets that we have, which I'm happy to share on this podcast. It's the, it's the language, isn't it, as well? And the it's way that the, you... It's, it's a number of things. It's... Um, it, it, it it's a number of techniques all rolled into one. So it's a placebo. I can't believe I'm sharing all this. This, this took many years <laughs> to master. There's a certain element of the placebo, which I'm sure people know is a is a is a sugar pill. It basically is a sugar pill of language. If you tell some, if you're in a position of authority, and I suppose as a clinical hypnotherapist, which I am, I'm in a position of authority. And if I tell somebody that something's going to happen and it's in their interest for it to happen, so it's entirely ethical, then it will happen. I mean, I stop people smoking. And we hire a room in London and we put a, we put a note on the door and it says, David Taylor, um, hypnotherapist. And, and somebody goes down and collects them and they say, this is, uh, you, you're here to stop smoking, aren't you? So there's placebo number one. And they say, yes. What will you do instead when you stop smoking? Placebo number two. As we go, David stopped many people smoking. Number three. Then we go to, we go to my room and it's got, it's got David Taylor, hypnotherapist on. And don't tell anyone this, but when they walk in, I've got my certificates all over the wall. They're all in different <laughs> They're all the same certificate. I only got one certificate. So it's in Japanese and Chinese and whatever, and I put them all over the wall. <laughs> it's like when you walk past a trophy shop, you think, oh, God, that guy must be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, all those trophies he's won. Um, and, and, and you see this, and, and then, you know, I sit on this chair slightly bigger than them, and I say, oh, I understand you're here to stop smoking. You know, this is placebo number 11. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, so it's first that. Then there's an element of uh, an extraordinary story that I was basically coaching a guy who worked, I won't name him, but, um, because he won't talk to me anymore. Um, that's a joke. But I was coaching a guy from Walmart, and he wanted to. Uh, he was having confidence confidence issues with regard to speaking at a big conference. And I was over at Austin University Business School in one of my favourite countries, Northern Ireland. I got a phone call from Sue, and this guy wanted to see me that evening. So I said, "Well, I'm over here." And they said, "That's okay. He'll come over to you, and he'll get a flight out of Belfast International later on." And I said, "Okay, you know the rules, Sue. One." He mustn't have any alcohol too. He mustn't eat anything because digestion, as I'm sure you know, Andrew is one of the, well, you certainly know you're an expert at it, having written that brilliant best-selling book. That, <laughs> I can't remember what it was called, but it was bloody good. <laughs> you only endorsed it, David. It's called enough. I, it's called enough. Yeah, yeah. That's, I knew it was. I knew it was something like that. Um, and uh, my books are easy to guess because they're all called Naked Something. And um, basically he, was, he, was, he, was, he arrived and he was pissed and he, he'd eaten. That's right. And I couldn't get a room. So we had to do it in my bedroom. And it was very weird, Angela, because I had this businessman, and you know, you know when you stay in a, you know, you know when you stay in a, a, a room, a hotel room, you have this little glass table, a round table in the corner of the bedroom. Yes, with the magazines magazine, on. Yeah, magazine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always wondered what that table was for, and I discovered what it was Go for. On. It's in case you bring a businessman to your room, and it's all a little bit embarrassing, and you want to hypnotise him. It's at the glass table. Anyway, <laughs> he was eating at McDonald's when he walked in. He was clearly pissed on wine, and I had to invite him up to my bedroom. So um, we're sitting there and he was also late. So we only had about 25 minutes. And although there's a lot of stuff written about hypnosis, which is absolute rubbish, unfortunately peddled by, mainly by stage hypnotists, hypnosis is a heightened state of awareness, not a reduced state of awareness. It's an extraordinarily powerful thing. Um, it goes, gives you direct access to the subconscious. So he said, hypnotize me. And I thought, well, I can't. So what I did, Angela, was I talked to him as if he was hypnotized. As if I'd already done the, the trance, if you can see me yes. on the, yeah, the trance. So I just talked to him as if he was hypnotized using normal everyday language. And it didn't have as big an effect 
as if I'd hypnotized them, it had a far greater effect. Wow. I was stunned. So for my uh, How to Be Successful by Being Yourself, I thought, I wonder if I could write everyday words in normal language with nothing to do with hypnosis and people could feel differently just by reading those words. And so we've invented a thing which we started off by calling hidden hypnosis, but people thought that was some kind of threat. So I think we've, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what we call it now, but it's basic, basically it's everyday language. So you can actually use a combination of fairly well-known ethical persuasive techniques, the mm -hmm. placebo, threes, reciprocity, yeah, um, and all of these things all wrapped up into an everyday language and basically get people to realize how amazing they are. So that's probably the biggest that's probably the biggest trick we've pulled is to be able to master everyday conversation and help people and providing they give permission to be helped. Yeah, we've got a pretty good track record, but it's nothing to do with us. It's nothing to do with me. It's entirely to do with them. Well, you know, you do have that effect, though, because I listened to the book while I was on a sun lounger on holiday a couple of summers ago now it was. And, and it, I think it is all of those things that you've mentioned, but also the combination of those with your voice. That's the trick. That's that's the thing that really gets you to buy in as a listener. Um, and, you know, right. you can't help it. I'm Amazing. surprised we didn't bump into each other because I was in Southend that year as well. <laughs> um, but you're very, sure, you're very, you're very, very kind uh, to say that. <laughs> well, I have to let you take some praise because this humility is wonderful. But, you know, credit where credit is due. And so I'm going to test you now, David. I'm going to test you with the five second game rule. Okay. And this is my children's favourite game to play. And you only have five seconds to give me three answers to a single question. So are you ready? Yes. Hang on, how many questions are there? I'm going to do two, but you need to give me three answers for the first question. Yes, okay. Okay, so David, in the five second game rule, can you give me three traits of a successful person? Uh, humility, belief, charisma. Boom! I love the last one. One of my favourites. Well, you are so charismatic. Oh, you're very kind. You can come again, David. Okay, and then let's do another one then, as you're good at it. So let's do, in the five-second game rule, David, can you give me three things that you can do to perk up your mood? Breathe deeper, listen to an inspirational piece of music, surround yourself with, with, with positive people. Oh, definitely. Definitely the last one. Surround yourself with positive people. But the other None two, no, you didn't like the other two? I did, of course I like the other you two. You said I like the last one. You didn't mention the other <laughs> two. That's not very <laughs> I was going to ask you which piece of inspirational music you thought. Oh, my God. That's an amazing mm. question. I'm not sure you're going to even answer that in five seconds. <laughs> um, I think probably a band I can't pronounce. Um, but if you hold on, I'll just look up Spotify on the other uh, screen. They're B R U N U H Bruneville B R U N U H I L L E Bruneville, and through them on a playlist, I got to know a band called Would You Believe Two Stop. I think it's Two Steps to Hell, which oh, is a okay. spiritual band. Um, I think that's right. And basically, I'm really into into that now. It's sort of it's a mix of very hev heavy sort of um, upbeat sort of film music with uh with chinese sort of eastern spiritual music okay two steps to hell i, I will just check that's right <laughs> because it does sound a bit weird because um, it sounds like it, it sounds like it's hellish wrong, <laughs> hold on a second 
I have to say, mine would be Mr. Brightside by The Killers every time. Can't beat that song. Yeah. Um, but it's not about you, is it, though? Is it about me? No, I know this. I'm just filling. I'm filling while you're looking. I know. <laughs> yeah, two, step, so two steps from hell. So that's that's better. better. Two that's steps better. from hell. Yes. I, I knew that. <laughs> there's a big difference, isn't there? One of, one of the books I'm working on, one of the books that I'm working on a book to help people come to terms with the loss of animals and pets. Um, You've been working on this for ages, David. Yes, I guess. Just yes. saying. Yeah, I am working on it for ages and ages. And it was going to be called Letters to a Lost Friend. And yes. and I think I told you, I think I told you back 10 years ago when I, when I was still working on it, somebody suggested making it Letters from a Lost Friend. <laughs> so those twos and those froms are very important. But that book's coming out on, that book is going to be finished on Monday. Really? Yeah, what well, time have you finished it? Oh, no, no, I don't know which Monday, but it will be a Monday. I've decided <laughs> that book will be finished. I don't know which oh, don't know which month, week, month or year, but it will be finished on a Monday. You are just full of joy. And I am going to ask you now the absolute killer question. And the killer question for this podcast, David, is, and I'm, I can't wait to see what you're going to say, oh, is yeah. what is, in your view, the absolute secret to success? Do I have five seconds or can I think? No, you can think. Not too long. <laughs> uh, the absolute secret, the absolute secret to success is to realize that your dreams are your dreams. And no matter how big or small, gigantic or tiny they may seem to other people, they're yours. So if you if your secret to success is getting a new job and you get that job, that's fantastic. If your secret to success is making coffee perfectly, that's fantastic. If your secret to success is changing the world, that's fantastic. Just don't let any other people judge you. The secret mm. to success is to have a personal idea of what success is and go with it with all of your heart, mind, body and spirit. That's the secret to success, in my opinion. I love that. Were you reading that from your book? <laughs> Do you really think I'd write stuff that good? No. It was, was so articulate. I loved it. Well, I did, have a, I did have somebody next to me who was telling me what to say. Would you like to know who that is? <laughs> was it your interpreter? It is Olaf from Frozen. <laughs> oh, you Olaf can't beat Olaf, Frozen can has you? given me. We do these. We do these video calls <laughs> with organisations and um, videos where you can see people, Angela, as opposed to just here. Well, um, yes, yes. And and I have an Oscar here, and I have a Buddha, but I have an Olaf, and Olaf sort of just inspires me so much. Um, you can't beat him. You can't. Well, I wouldn't want to beat him. That'd be cruel. <laughs> So what you're saying is the secret to success is defining success in your own eyes yes. and staying in your own lane as you go towards it. Yes. And also also help other people with it. Once you've got that, you don't need to talk about yourself anymore. That's yeah. what I think true humility is. Then you can devote time to other people, as you do in your life, Angela. You know, you, you, you've, touched, you've touched thousands of people's lives. You've kept going when you've been in the uh, face of great adversity, when jealous people had a go at you. You've got a beautiful daughter who's so lucky to have you as a mum. And so success is not just about yourself, but I think when you when you know it's not about you, it's always about someone else. And I think that's probably the secret of success is, yes, have success for yourself and give unconditional love to yourself, but also re help other people achieve their success mm -hmm. rather than putting them down all the time. I suppose if I was going to sum it all up in one line, other people's failure is not your success and other people's success is not your failure. Oh, boom. I love that as a finisher. That is amazing. I hope that is written in your book, David. It's a good one. Can I just say to anyone listening that if anything I've said is a quote belonging to you, because none of them belong to me, 
instead of taking legal action out against me, please will you write to me? And I promise that anytime I use that quote in the future, I will give Your you reference. Yes. And I don't know where all these quotes come from. I love it. You're just like a, a coin collector going along and, That's and right. taking all the wisdom. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Share and it. taking Share away the jargon. Time. Taking away the jargon. Oh my days, by. yes. You know that that is the bit about academia that is is the worst, is all of the kind of the fancy words and, and the bits that are more complex than they need to be. So if you're taking away the jargon, you'll always be a friend of mine. Thank you. I know you want to finish now, but I must just finish with one quick story, if I may. No, go ahead. I had a tenure at uh, Warwick University Business School. I had my seven-year tenure as a visiting professor of leadership, and I loved it. And then I, at my very first event, I followed on from a professor of psychology, and um, and then I went on, and then we had a break, and we were having coffee together. And he came, he came and sat down, and we had coffee together, and he said, "Very good, David. Didn't didn't agree with everything you said, but very good." And I thought, well, "That's praise indeed." And he said, "Little tip for you, David. When you follow on from another speaker." Always refer back to what that speaker said. It's good manners and it shows you were listening and it shows we're as one. I said, that's really good advice. Thank you. Anyway, carried on. He wouldn't give up. He said, you didn't refer to me at all. And I said, yes, I know. Um, and he said, well, why didn't you? And I said, should we just leave it there? And he said, no, I want you to tell me why you didn't refer to what I said. I said, you were on for 45 minutes and you had 36 slides. I didn't understand one single word that you said. <laughs> I didn't understand a phrase you said and I didn't understand any of your slides. So that rather prevented me from being able to <laughs> authority or any gratitude or any understanding refer to a single word you said, because all you talked in was complete and total gibberish. <laughs> and he got up and walked away and I never saw him again. But it's true. This is what academia has got to get over. Oh, we live in the real true. world. We don't need, you know, I mean, get this. This is my final comment because then I'll stop talking. Angela, Angela. <laughs> I'm listening. There's a university, which I won't name, because it's just, it, I won't name. But anyway, there's a university in America, and they took 18 months, 18 months of research to establish that if you believe you've got a good memory, you will have a better memory than if you don't believe you've got a good memory. <laughs> Duh. So what I do on, on courses sometimes is I have a bit of a laugh with people, and I talk about the conscious and the subconscious, and if you believe something to be true with your conscious mind, the subconscious makes it true. And I said, would you like to replicate an 18-month research uh, piece in 18 seconds? Hands up all the people who've got a good memory. Yeah, uh, sorry, if you think you've got a good memory. Yeah, do you find you remember things? Yeah, hands up those who haven't. Do you find, yeah, great, nine seconds. What is academia <laughs> up to? What is academia up to sometimes? On the other Wasting hand. Wasting all the money. <laughs> on the other hand, we do get a lot of stuff from academia. Yeah, we do actually quote a lot without the jargon. It's highs and lows, isn't it? Always. Yeah, yes. yes. David, your energy is just delightful. Oh, I, I always love speaking to you. It always lifts me. And thank you for being so much fun, um, so honest, and having all of that beautiful humility that you always bring. Thank you. And of course, we will share the details of your website and the wonderful books that you've written, and maybe the new book if it's going to be out. Um, and and the, and maybe the one about pets that will be out sometime soon on a Monday. Indeed. And oh, it's been nice. it's been an absolute honour. I don't do many of these, Angela, because, well, frankly, I don't get invited to many. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I've enjoyed it and I wish everyone listening to this well. And um, yeah, you take care. You're a special person. No, oh, you're very kind. You take care too. Thank you, David. Bye bye. Bye. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. 
For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.